TanakhStudy.com, the podcast program in which we study Parashat HaShavua with a course of six podcasts during the week in which it is read. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom, and I am delighted to be studying the second half of Sefer Shmot with you. And today in our third podcast of Parashat Mishpatim, we continue with the law code towards the end of Perak Chafalif into Perak Chafbet. In the first segment, we saw the laws presented first of different kinds of Hebrew slaves and then of murder and assault. The next section that we looked at in yesterday's podcast was about further damage done by people, uh, done, by, uh, done to people, including by people or by animals. Now we're going to look at the category called the Nizke Mamon, damage done by one's property, and chiefly to someone else's property. Beginning with Pasuk Lamed Gimel. We'll look at the entire piece by itself, it's two, two psukim. So what's the case? If a man opens up a cistern, it's important to identify properly what a bore is. A bore is a, a hole that is dug in the ground in order to preserve water, to catch water. Typically, they'd be found at the foothills uh, catching rainwater and snowmelt, etc., and uh, to have a reserve of water in that area. And a bore would be kept closed and then would be opened up for need and then closed again. And a bore was sufficiently wide uh, in diameter that an animal could fall into it uh, and sort of get wedged in there or suffocate in there. Uh, and that's why the discussion in the fifth chapter of Masachat Bavakama between Rav and Shmuel about what it is that actually kills the animal, whether it's the suffocation or smacking the ground at the bottom, Hevlo or Chavato. And so therefore, if a man opens up a bore, or he digs a bore, and doesn't cover it up, and a shore or a chamor falls in. Critical to note, and this is as good a place as any to point it out, that the parasha, parashat mishpatim, and in other section law sections in the Torah, always speak about a shore and a chamor, about an ox and a donkey. And as Chachamim teaches in the last Mishnah, in the fifth parak of Bavakama, these laws apply to all animals, and the reason that shore is picked here, shore and chamor, is they were the most common animals used in the times of the Torah, the ones that were domesticated, and therefore that's the classic example. Someone has a shore that's walking around, falls into a boar, and dies. What happens? Shor or chamor are understood by Chachamim also to be exclusive terms in the sense that they, that they exclude Adam and Kelim, meaning if an animal falls in, then the owner of the boar is liable, as we'll see in the next Pasuk, but if the vessels that are on the shore are broken, like the yoke, he's not liable for that. And if a person falls in, the owner of the boar is liable is not liable for that either because the person should watch where he is going or she is going. So therefore, the case is, and again, it's a casuistic presentation of the law, <laughs> Baal 
the owner of the boar has to pay. Now, the interesting thing is, who's the owner of the boar? So let's for a moment consider where this boar is. If the boar is in my private property, I dug a pit in my own private property, and your animal wandered and fell in, I'm not liable for that. If I dug a boar in your backyard, well, I have no right to do that to start with. And, uh, and, uh, and clearly that's not the case that's being discussed here. And therefore, Chachamim understand that this is a boar that is dug in the area we know as Rishut HaRabim, meaning a public area where I have access. I'm not allowed to dig a boar there, but I did, but I'm not really the owner. And so therefore, we have the famous dictum of Rava, that Shnei Dvarim, Einan Birshuto Shel Adam Torah Birshuto. There are two things that you don't own, and yet the Torah gave you ownership for liability purposes only. And they are Chametz Le'achar Sheshaot, Chametz from midday on, on the 14th of Nisan. You don't own it anymore, and yet you're liable for owning it. And Bor Birshuto Rabim, if you were to dig a bore in Birshuto Rabim. So Baal HaBor Yishalem, you're considered the Baal HaBor because you dug the bore or left it open. Kesef Yashiv Liv'alav. You have to return Kesef, silver, to the owner. Which owner? The owner of the animal that died. V'hameit yellow, and you keep the mate. So in other words, instead of saying, well, the animal was worth $1,000, fell into my pit, and, he's, and the carcass is now worth $200, so I'll pay you 800 and you take the carcass out. No, no, it fell into your pit, you now keep the carcass, and you got to pay him for a complete animal, the complete loss. Okay, the next uh, area is one that we are familiar with, again, from the laws of Nizikin. And that sounds sneakily like a piece that we saw a few psukim earlier in the last podcast, in that case, the ox is goring another person, a person, a man or woman, and killing them. And that was the partial that we ended up, ended up the previous podcast with. Here, it's which literally means to push. Chachamim understand that yigof here actually means to gore. And it uses a different term to indicate that the likelihood of an animal goring another animal is far greater than the likelihood of an animal goring a person, and that helps to establish patterns, as we'll see in a moment. So a shore owned by a person gores the shore owned by another person, and it dies, and now there's no people getting killed here. So they shall sell the living ox, the attacker, and split the money, and they shall also take the dead car- the carcass and split the money of that also. In other words, bottom line is that the attacking ox's owner has to pay one half of the damages. This is something that we call, and we, we already saw this in the previous passage, about a shore that kills a person. We refer to this as a shore tom, a a docile, a domesticated, a tame ox that one day goes crazy and kills another ox. The owner sells it and only has to pay half and keeps half of the proceeds of the sale. And there is an interesting machloket in the Gemara between Rav Papa and Rav Zvid as to whether or not essentially you should pay everything. <clears throat> but the Torah gave you a break because this animal had no history of violence and therefore you had no reason to watch out. Or, on the other hand, really, you should pay absolutely nothing. 
<clears throat> and because the animal had no history. And yet the Torah puts a fine on you of paying one half, and that becomes the machloket about whether palga de mamona, de, de nizka mamona, palga de nizka knasa, is this half payment essentially mamona and you're getting a break, or is it a knas where you're paying an extra half, as it were, above the zero that you really should have to pay. In any case, that's if it's a short time, a shore that it doesn't have a history of violence. So if it is known, no da, that this is a shor nagach, and that's the same phrasing we saw earlier when it killed a person. Shor nagach meaning a goring shore. Important thing here about language is you see the word nagach, nun gimelchet, uh, the three letters of the radical, uh, the three radicals of the word, if they're, if they're vocalized with a kamatz under the first and then a patach under the second, it's a per- past perfect verb, he gored. However, by switching those vowels and putting the patach first and then the kamatz, it becomes a noun. <clears throat> so for instance, katav, chaf, te, tav, bet, with a kamatz under the chaf and a Patach under the tav means he wrote. Katav with a patach under the chaf and a kamatz under the tav means a writer, a journalist. And here also, nagach, if vocalized differently, would mean he gored. Here it's a gorer, it's like a profession. Shor nagachu. And shor nagachu mitmol shilshom. And again, like we saw just in the previous passage, mitmol shilshom is a biblical idiom for ever since we know history. And yet the literal meaning is from the day before and yesterday, from yesterday and the day before, and that's where Chachamim understand that a short time becomes a short muad after or on the third time he gores. Exactly as we saw earlier, the owner did not watch him even though he has history. Then the owner of the attacking ox has to pay shor tachatashor, which sounds like I give you my live ox and you give me the dead one that got killed, but since it's shor tachatashor, and we've already seen ayin tachadayin, shein tachachain, then you actually have to pay the value, out of pocket, the value of the shore that was killed, and you keep the carcass. Okay, the next parasha, which demonstrates again the uh, difficulty of the Christian division of the Torah into chapters, because here is a parsha that just runs from the end of a chapter to the beginning of the next one, uh, because the chapter division is just in a bad place. And again, casuistic, if a person steals. So here we're not saying do not steal, saying here's the consequences of a particular kind of theft. If a man burglars, burgles, a shoroseh, an ox or a lamb, utvacho o macharo, and then he kills it or sells it. He has to pay five cows for the cow and four sheep for the sheep. And what that means, halachically, is he ha- we take the value of the ox that he took and he has to pay it five times. So if the ox is worth $1,000, he has to pay the owner $5,000. Because he stole it, there's a thousand. He burgled it, so therefore there's an extra, a double, which we're going to see in a moment. That's called kefel, so it's two thousand. And then there's an extra three times 
added on because he made it irretrievable by selling it or killing it. And if it's a lamb, then it's four times instead of five times. Famous Midrash of Rabbi Yochanan says the Torah has concern for the dignity even of robbers. This thief was able to walk the ox out and therefore didn't, didn't um, lose his own dignity in this theft, but that he had to carry the lamb out. Uh, the lambs aren't led. You have to pick them up and carry them. And therefore, since there was a loss of his dignity in carrying the lamb out, therefore he only has to pay four times, not five times. Beautiful Midrash that accords the Torah's sensitivity to human dignity even to thieves. It continues on, though, and with a very tricky halacha. Im so now we're talking about a ganav who has tunneled in, a machteret, who has tunneled into the house to steal, and he gets hit and is killed. Ain lo damim. There's no blood on him, meaning somebody is sneaking into my house to try to steal, and I kill him, then I'm not liable. I have no blood guilt on me. Um, this is not necessarily in the case of somebody coming to steal an animal. It's any theft. But the context here is of theft, where we started out with the context of stealing an animal. The Torah then stipulates, If the sun set, arose on him, or shined on him, then he does have blood. What does that mean? That means that if, the little literal meaning, if the fellow tunneled in during the day, and it's a bright day, and the owner sees him and kills him, then the owner is liable. Shalem yishalem, im lo v'nim He has to pay, meaning the fellow who burrowed in and stole, if he does steal successfully, then he has to pay. And if he does not have the wherewithal to pay, meaning by the time we caught up with him, he already spent all the money on something or it's gone, then vinimkar begnevato, that he is sold to pay for that loss. He's sold for the theft. And sold meaning he's sold as a slave. <clears throat> On the other hand, if the, the, the item that's stolen is found in his hands, meaning he took it to his house, and we find it there, mishor ad chamor ad whether an ox, whether a donkey, or whether a lamb. And again, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, picking the animals that are typically used in the biblical world, as long as it is chayim, as long as they're still alive, then shnaim yishalim, he has to pay double. And this is the very popular tashlumei kefel, the double payment for geneva. So in sum, this parasha, which stretches from Aleph Lamed Zion through Chafet, through Chafalaf Lamed Zion through Chafet Gimel, four psukim, <coughs> presents to us the laws of geneva. Geneva typically carries with it a double punishment, meaning a double payment. In some circumstances, it can be even greater than that. However, you notice that in Pasuk Aleph, there is a rule that He has no blood on him if he's caught in the machteret. However, this leads us to an interesting halachic result, which is really informed by the next Pasuk. Now that's the part I want to look at here for a moment. If the sun rises up, then he does have blood on him, and in that case he has to pay. What does that mean? 
<coughs> so we have a principle in halacha, which is kamlei b'derabamine, which means if you do one act, which carries with it two consequences in court, the greater consequence is given to you, and the lesser one you're exempted from, by dint of being subsumed under the greater one. So that means, for instance, if you would attack somebody and kill them, and in the process of kill, killing them also destroy the suit they're wearing, you'd be exempt for payment to the heirs of the value of the suit because you're going to be killed. And the interesting thing is that this holds true in halacha, even if in matter of fact you're not going to be killed, as long as the act was a capital crime. So take a look at what happens here. Reading the psukim straight up, it says that if the man burrows in and is killed, there's no blood guilt on him, meaning he, you're allowed to kill him. The owner's allowed to kill him. If the sun comes up, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, then he does have blood on him, which means you're not allowed to kill him. And then he has to pay, implying that if it was the machteret, let's say in the dark, he wouldn't have to pay. Why is that? So we have a halacha in Masachat Sanhedrin <coughs> that Ababa machteret uh, actually ends up acquiring. Kena'an ben show. He acquires the item, and he's not required to give it back because he bought it with his life, meaning since the fellow who comes in the machteret is, can be killed, and if the uh, homeowner kills him, the homeowner is not liable for blood guilt, therefore it's as if the thief has risked his life and has essentially sacrificed his life. And therefore anything less than that, such as the acquisition of the stolen item, actually becomes his very strange reality that plays through the law of Kamle Bidrabimine. But of course, but if the sun rose, meaning this is in daylight, then the homeowner is liable for killing him. If that's the case, then he didn't risk his life. If that's the case, then he does have to pay the item back, and therefore, shalem is shalem. And then the other stipulation is if he can't pay it back, then we sell him as a slave to, to further that goal of having him make restitution. And one other comment about Imzacha Shemesh Alav. Imzacha Shemesh is understood by the Midrash Chachamim to be a Midrash, a Mashal, meaning that it's, it's a figurative language for clarity. And that means that if the fellow coming, coming in uh, is somebody that the homeowner doesn't know, then the assumption is he's coming in and ready to risk his life, kill or be killed, in order to accomplish his theft because he's coming in at night when he knows the homeowner is there. He's not breaking in during the day when people are off at work. And therefore, he's risking his life. Risking his life also means he's willing to take a life, which means we have a circumstance of somebody who's coming to kill you, you have to kill them first. You're obligated by halacha to kill them first and to save your own life. And therefore, that's the circumstance in the dark. And we don't just mean in the visual dark, but in the cognitive dark, meaning I don't know what the situation is. Here's somebody I've never seen before breaking into my house. That's what I have to assume. But if things are light, and Chazal say means figurative light, meaning I'm aware that this person will not kill me, such as my own father breaks into my house out of desperation. I know he'll never kill me. Then I'm not allowed to kill him. And so therefore, becomes a metaphor for clarity. And with this leads us to a very interesting machloka between the Rambam and the Ravad in Chot Rotzeach about what happens if a fellow actually breaks in during the day. 
do we say that the phrase is interpreted by the Midrash as meaning cognitive clarity and not time of day? And therefore, I don't care what time of day he comes in, unless he is somebody that I know will not harm me, his blood is free, as it were. Or do I say that the Midrash Chachamim only adds to the Pshat and doesn't supplant it? And that's the position of the Ravad, who says, The text can never leave its original base meaning, and therefore, if the fellow comes in during the day, you're not allowed to kill him. Fascinating dispute that really cuts down, cuts to the core of how we learn Chumash. Okay, moving on, the next kind of nezek of damage that we read about is a double damage, a double t- two types of damage, in Pasuk Dalad. Ki ish sadeh ocherem. Now, there's a word that shows up three times in this pasuk, clearly the key word of the pasuk, uh, but there's a little bit of a play on words, and the word is levair. Levair means to clean out. But as a result of that, an animal, which is a ma'ir, is a grazer, which typically cleans everything out wherever it eats everything up. And therefore, bi'irchem, is a phrase, is a word we're familiar with from Sefer Bereshit. Paro says to Yosef, tell your brothers, ta'anu et bi'irchem, load up your grazing animals and bring them to Mitzrayim. So ki yaver ish sadeh ocherem would mean if a man clears out a field or a vineyard. How does he do that? V'shilach et bi'iro, he sends his grazing animals, uvi'er b'steacher, and they totally eat up um, the uh, the uh, field of some other person. So in other words, here I am, I've got animals, I don't want to feed them lunch, I send them into somebody else's field, they eat up all the crops, and that's their lunch. It looks like this is one form of damage, which is my animals eating somebody else's food, somebody else's crops. What do I have to do? Metav sadeo, metav kamo yishalem. And this is tit for tat. I sent him into Sadeh Ocherem, somebody else's field or vineyard, so I have to pay the best of my field or the, or the best of my vineyard in kind. And this becomes now the model for all Nizikin, which is you have to pay from your finest land. What that means is that the first approach to payment is you pay cash or pay with some sort of uh, currency uh, or a commodities. If you don't have them or you refuse to pay, the court will come and seize your land. And which land will it seize? It will seize the fine, your finest quality land or something measurable, the finest quality land of the victim or maybe on some universal standard, Shalom, Shalom, at Sugiyan, the first parak of Bavakama, which discusses that. But it's going to be the finest land. And that's based on Metav here, which then we link to all of the other Nizikina. That becomes the standard for payment. Again, the simple read of this text is that there's one form of damage being introduced, and that is what we refer to as shane, when the animal eats somebody else's food. However, Chachamim also understand from the extra phrase, v'shilach et bi'iro, he sends his animal in, that there's also the animal, the damage done by the trampling of the animal. An animal walks into a place, typically animals are not very careful, and if they're big, oafish animals, they're clumsy, and they break things. So if my animal walks into your backyard and twishes his tail and knocks over a pot, I have to pay. And that is another damage that we refer to as regel, because typically that kind of damage is done with the animal's feet when they stomp on something or trample on something. So those two kinds of nizikin 
are mentioned here. And the next pasuk takes us to yet another kind of, of, of damage, which is even further away from the human. Because we started with damage done by me sneaking in and stealing, then damage done by my animal stealing, as it were, from your property, eating. And then we're going to talk about the next damage, which is even more removed from the life of the animal world. Ki esh gadish o o and here the same root ba'er is used, but here it means something else, although it's a related word, which is to burn. But the notion of levair in burning means to burn something totally up. Again, full cleaning out. So fire goes out and it finds thorns because it needs to have something uh, flammable to catch on to. And then v'nechal gadish, the pile of wheat gets eaten up in somebody else's field. Ohakama, or perhaps, not a pile of harvested wheat, but kama means the stalks of wheat that are in the ground, as we read about in the story of Shimshon in Shoftim, Perak Yodalad. Ohasadeh, or the field itself gets burned. Then, Shalem Shalem, the guy who started the fire has to pay for it. And this is the damage that we refer to as Esh. <clears throat> and now, the next three pieces that we're going to see which will take us to the end of this section, are what we refer to as the Shomerim. Shomerim are Baalis, people who watch things for others under different kind of circumstances. We'll start from the beginning in Pasuk Vav. Let's take a look at the components here. In Pasuk Vav, So a man gives to another fellow silver or vessels to watch. <clears throat> and these things are stolen from the man's house. Now notice that in this particular context, one person gave it to another person to watch, which means the watcher is doing him a favor. And they were stolen from the house of the watcher. The simplest thing is, find the ganav, he pays double, as we saw earlier. What happens if we don't find the ganav? So that means that the owner comes up to the bailey and says, where is my my stuff, my keli, my kesef that I gave you. And he says, it was stolen from me. We can't find the ganav. The owner perhaps distrusts the watcher, says, I think you're keeping it. And you're claiming it was stolen so you can keep it yourself. So what happens? V'nikrav balabayit el ha'elohim. Balabayit, the senor, the owner, approaches ha'elohim, a word that we've already seen earlier in, in Parshat Mishpatim, as meaning the court, comes to the court, and now, imlo, if not, is actually alluding to a hint, to an oath. It's hinting to an oath. Because the way that an oath is taken in Tanakh is not, I swear that, but I swear that not. Meaning, I swear that if I, uh, that if I did do the wrong thing, then etc. And therefore, he's saying, imlo I'm taking an oath that I did not take anything 
shlichud yad, and I did not violate the property of my fellow. Meaning I'm taking an oath, I'm the Shomer, that I didn't do anything here, and that it was stolen. The, we are living in a society in the times of the Torah, people are very afraid of lying under oath and the consequences of that. And as a result of that, if he really is a thief, very likely he's going to say, okay, jig is up, I'll pay, and that's it. Or I'll pay because I don't want to take an oath because I'm not sure if I'm right. <clears throat> and, therefore, and then the Torah concludes, I'll call Devar Pesha for any sort of Pesha, which here would mean sort of an uh, act of treachery against the owner in this case, whether it's al-shor, al-chamor, any kind of the animals, al-seh, a sheep, or al-salma, for clothing, al-kol aveda, for anything lost, when the fellow says, that's it, this has to come to the court. And we learn from asher an interesting halacha, which is min ha-torah, if a person makes a claim that another fellow owes him something, and the other fellow admits to part of the claim, but not the whole thing, what we refer to as modeb miktzat, then the fellow admitting to part of the claim has to first of all pay what he admits he owes, and then take an oath about the rest, shuat modeb miktzat. Um, and at the very end of this part, shall we say, asher yashiun Elohim, whenever the court finds someone guilty, yishalem shnaim l'reu, has to pay double. Now the question is, who has to pay double here? We already said earlier that the if we find the ganav and everything's fine, then he pays double and the shomer is out of the picture. So what's happening here? So Chachamim understand, big sugyan, the seventh parak of Baba Kama, that this is a case of toentan ganav, meaning when the shomer claims it was nignav and he's lying, he has to pay double. So not only does a ganav pay double, but toen tanat ganav pays double when somebody uses that as a false claim to get out of paying. That's the first episode of Shomrim. The second one is, And Chachamim understand that this parasha is talking about not a Shomer chinam, who watches for nothing, as in the previous parasha, but rather a Shomer Sachar, one who has more liability because he's getting paid for watching. And so now, if a man gives Chamor or Shor or Seh, Bechol Beimalishmor, here the context is animals, not vessels, as we had earlier. Umate, and the animal dies. Onishbar, Onishbar, the animal breaks down or is taken captive. Ein Roat, meaning it's not stolen from the house, but there's a the marauding band comes through and takes them. And Ein Ro'eh means that we don't have any testimony to this. What happens? Again, Shvuat Adonai ben Shneham. There's an oath to God that goes between the two of them, meaning the Shomer and the owner. And again, what's the oath? I did not take this thing. And then what happens? Um, the, the owner takes it and there is no payment here. But in this case, if it is stolen from him, he does have to pay. In other words, this is a fellow who has a greater level of liability, and if the item really is stolen from him, he does have to pay. And now, one more piece is, If the animal is eaten up by other animals, ripped apart, then he has to bring a witness, then he doesn't have to pay for that. So meaning that in the context of this Shomer, who has more liability, 
we have the list of things from which he's still exempt, which is that the thing drops dead, the thing is taken captive, the thing breaks down, or the thing is ripped apart by other animals. However, if it's stolen from him or lost, then he does have to pay. And then we get to the last of the Shomrim. A man borrows from another fellow, and it breaks down or dies. If the owner is not there, he has to pay. Which means the Torah here very clearly is saying, here is a much higher level of liability. You borrowed it from him, which means you're watching the item because you want the item, and he's getting nothing for it. And therefore, you have the greatest liability. Even if the thing dies, you, don't, you have to pay. You're responsible. However, um, if uh, the owner is with you, meaning the owner says, I'll come along with you with the animal and I'll watch it while it's plowing, then you're off the hook. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> if you're a hired hand, then that comes as part, of the, as part of the payment. You notice here, though, that there's three shomrim, and we're all familiar with the Arba shomrim. We have here a shomer chinam, a shomer sachar, and a shoel, a, a worker, a, a, a free watchman, a hired watchman, and a borrower. Who's the fourth Shomer? The fourth Shomer is somebody we call a socher, a renter. Renters aren't covered in here. And that leads to a famous machloket between Rabbi Yehuda and Rameir about whether a socher has the same rules as Shomer Chinam or Shomer Sachar. And I'd be very happy to tell you what Rabbi Yehuda says and Rameir says, but there's actually a dispute about that, about who has which position. But one of them certainly has the position that a socher is like a Shomer Chinam, the first Shomer we met, whose liability is low. And the other one has the position that it is like a Shomer Sachar, somebody who is a hired watchman whose liability is in the middle between Shomer Chinam and Shoel. We're going to pick it up with more of the law code of Mishpatim in the next podcast. In the meantime, everybody should have a wonderful day.